We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Cuban author Dora Alonso with Sophie and the Angel today. Do you like Cuban sandwiches? You know I love my Cuban sandwich. There's a place in town that has killer sandwiches. Cofe con leche. <laughs> Please never do that again. <laughs> oh, all right. Today we're talking about Sophie and the Angel, a first from Dora Alonzo for us in this channel. And I would say highly entertaining. And I got some similar vibes of another author that we've read. Have, have, did you get those at all by chance? No. Who did you, who did you have in mind? Do you remember Marquez, that uh, very old man with enormous wings? Remember, like, the angel came down, but, like, it's like almost like the flip. Oh, okay, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I thought this one felt a little bit more religious than it did uh, magical. What kind of a person would you say Sophie is? Like, you, you started off with religious. Like, what, what else does Sophie have going on in her life? She's a loner. She basically only has the housekeeper as her only friend and a cat. Uh, so she's, I don't know, is she crazy cat lady? Uh <laughs> So she 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 definitely is that maybe crazy cat lady, a loner. She also seems to be somebody that is set in her routines, set in her ways. This is mm-hmm. this is what time you eat. This is what time we pray. This is what time we go to church. This is, you know, my fork, knife, spoon have to be in this order. She's definitely somebody that is set in her ways. It's kind of sad, too, because on top of like, there's a lot of different ways you can be lonely. Like when you say that she's lonely. But at one point, I think if I recall correctly, the narration even said that she was like invisible to the town, right? Where like she even couldn't be seen by others, which was, I don't know, it's kind of sad. It's a different level of isolationism. But to your point, she did have the maid till the maid kicks the bucket. (laughs) And she dies looking at the sacred heart. Now, Crypto, you've shared on this channel before that you did go to a Catholic school. You did study. It was your major at one point, I think it was. Did, Did did you guys study the the Sacred Heart much? No, we didn't uh, didn't go over that. Okay, okay. I I don't know a ton about it too, but I do know that it's meant to be kind of like representative of like the eternal love, like the the un, undying devotion to, to to never giving in, to never questioning, like like a perfect love, if you will. I think that's what happens in this story, right, is Sophie doesn't really question when finally an angel visits her after the maid's death. Sophie just accepts it and moves on or moves with the angel through her new new life. I wonder, did you ever think about like that eternal devotion from like the maid's perspective, too? Like, it's kind of interesting. We don't really see her. She's not represented in the story, but we hear how she had served her for many years. Like it was her devotion in a sense, but she didn't have that religious devotion. She had the kids that grounded her and she almost had like the worldly direct focus, which is a direct foil to Sophie. Who's always focused on the religious and eternal life, I guess, in a sense. There did feel like there was this hierarchy in the story of the angel 
and then the the devout Catholic, and then the maid who was more worried about. I, I don't want to say like she's the representation of like capitalism or something, but more the representation of that the physical world. Uh, and then I, I don't know. It just felt like there was kind of this hierarchy of the, the different characters. I don't know where you put the cat. <laughs> The cat you put in the bipedal section where suddenly he just jumps up on two hind legs and is like, hey, there's an angel here. Right. And the angel walks in and starts playing an electric guitar. I loved it. I loved it. Oh, my God. I cracked up so much. And I was like, oh, you could just see that, you know, totally like 80s hair, you know, so good. I chuckled out loud on that part. Yeah. Instead of playing like the harp, you have like kind of like the magical up, uppercut realism of an electric, not even just like an acoustic car, an electric guitar, right? <laughs> I want to know where his amp was or was like, was, <laughs> I actually you, did you, wonder the same thing. <laughs> and I'm not a music person, you know that, but I, I, I was like, well, how is he playing electric guitar? And then I kind of imagined it myself. I was like, what if like the sound was emanating from his wings? That would be really cool. I don't, <laughs> I, my brain a little bit, a little crazy in this part of the story. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 I have to admit, I actually thought the same thing, but at the same time, it's magical realism. Like, uh, we've talked about this before. Magical realism is sometimes when you have these like fantastical things that happen and you just accept it. You're like, okay, yeah, the, the cat's walking and, and announces like a butler that the, the angel's there. That's cool. But it also kind of gives it mm, maybe a more extreme version of like, remember a Christmas Carol when Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up after this crazy night of the first ghost. And he's like, well, maybe it was just, you know, a lump of cheese, a, a bad piece of bread, like something like that. And Sophie, you know, she falls asleep, wakes up and is kind of like, well, maybe I dreamed the whole thing and goes back to her day where like the narration describes how she does all these things. And again, everything she does, she's alone. Like she's still isolated here. Like as, as we push the story forward, you almost get this question of like, well, was that real? I think that's pretty typical for most people. Right. I, I love how, Sophie is written to be very religious and devout, but she's practical as well. She she isn't just going to immediately believe that an angel came and talked to her. And I think that as humans, we're kind of programmed to be skeptical of the supernatural. And Sophie is doing exactly that. I think what most of us would probably do. Do you think that's why she doesn't go to the church? Right, like the 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 the, the angel is, is perfect, handsome. They start talking and, you know, after the 15th visit gives her a magical unicorn, a new one. Don't want to give her an old one, right? <laughs> it, it, but she's like afraid to go to the church about this. Like, shouldn't the church be the one she does go to about this? <laughs> you would think. And that's where I have kind of a go down the rabbit hole here with me. Because I read this all from the standpoint of very, very religious standpoint, I think, I think that it's Lucifer. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Because I he's... Think. Okay, okay, okay. So, okay. So you think that because there is obviously a question of lust in this story, I think. Because yes. she starts to form... Let's say this. Let's, let's start more neutral. She she forms an attachment with the visitor. Right? The, the, angel, the fallen angel. Um... And she starts having these like visions of attraction and even a kiss, right? Which I don't know to me when I hear a kiss, I'm like, okay, whatever. But they describe it as a mortal sin. Interestingly, um, do you? I assume when you went to school, they talked about like mortal skin versus versus venial sin, right? 
Right. Right, right. So, so mortal sins kind of like one of those like, <gasps> like murder, adultery. I don't, I don't think most ones. people. Yeah, I don't think most people think of kiss. Like now, while while lust is one of them, I don't know if kiss is entering into lust. Tell me more about this devil angle. What's, what's that have to do with lust and how he tempts her here? So I think that you got him falling down. He's playing an electric guitar. He's being subtle. He is giving her gifts, luring her in. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think he's seducing her. And then this relationship is not platonic. It is completely romantic in nature. And I think that he's trying to draw her to the, I, I think the angel is trying to draw her to the dark side. Uh, <laughs> he, he's, he doesn't seem to have a good intent for her. Like what, what is, what, what does she get out of this? If like you had a guardian angel, you figure that your life would be improving dramatically and her seems to kind of keep going the same and she doesn't feel comfortable going to the church with this. Well, why not? Like if, if I had proof of God to, to give to the church, I would 100% do that because that's going to help the cause. Right. And she believes in this cause and she's not doing that. Why would you hide this? Why would you keep this to yourself? And I don't think that she's a selfish person. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder. So I approach this story very formalistic. Like I didn't look up anything about the author. I I wanted to kind of just do this with a personal reaction because I think that tells us more about ourselves was was one of my goals for how I approach this. And, you know, I I think I told you I've spent some time in South America, so, so not Cuba, but they do talk about in Latin American cultures how when the conquistadores came that, you know, when, when Catholicism came to, to the South, to Southern Hemisphere America, that it, it had to kind of overtake and invade the local beliefs. Like the local, a lot of local tribes in, in the Peruvian area where I was, they talked about fertility, right? They even had like shrines to phallic symbols and stuff like that. And, and the church would come in and they'd knock them down. Right. They even like like murdered people that were basically anti-Catholic in a sense. Um, and I wonder if if this suppression of of or fear, maybe I should say, of the mortal sins of lust and out of, you know, marriage, uh, sexual intercourse and such, that that it kind of like led to suppression. And I, I would say for sure what I could say is that Sophie does have a lot of suppression, it feels like she's. She's purposely, I think she's isolated herself or others for fear of this mortal sin, this fear of her body's desires to be attracted to other people, um, which should lead to love and marriage, right? But for her, it's just like, oh, mortal sin, I'm screwed. I can't, I I gotta go, I gotta go confess. I gotta go to the church right now. So I I almost kind of took it as like this um, temptation to your point like maybe i didn't view it as lucifer but maybe i viewed it as as temptation like that's something that she's avoided her whole life to the point of completely suppressing a lot of herself a lot of her gifts even yeah i love that i also thought about what if she was a nun like in the story secretly sophie was a nun this whole time you're saying yeah what if what if she's a nun in the story and we just don't know that information and she's just fighting against her her sexual urges and she is manifesting this idea of uh this angel is causing me to do this or maybe that's her outlet of how she's dealing with her mm. her own sexuality as somebody that's not supposed to really have that as if she's supposed to be devout to god uh i, I think we kind of know she's not a nun but i feel like 
she's nun-ish. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know enough about it, but I think, you know, you're supposed to give up a certain amount of worldly items, possessions, desires even. And, uh, you know, that when she does finally tell the church and the guy's like, look, your isolation has caused, I think, some hallucinations in your life. You need to get rid of stuff. You got to get rid of your cat even, which I was like, oh, that's kind of sad. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, wondering, right? like, is, well, is the cat symbolic of... um her runaway imagination attachment yeah well oh, that okay. or you know like like the four-legged creature turning into two leg being kind of like her loss of control even in her life of 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 what she was being the crazy cat lady i guess but uh at the end you have the feather in the room and I think it was presented in a way where at a surface level you could just read it as like okay the angel is real but I don't know. There was something about this that just made me question of like, is it like, can I trust this narrator? The narrator thought a cat was walking on two hind legs and was also telling me about uh, an angel coming with an electric guitar <laughs> to sing you to sleep. Uh, it made me question of like, can I really trust that 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 feather really was there? For me, the feather was, do you need proof to truly believe in something? And I think mm -hmm. that you don't. Mm -hmm. Whether you think the feather, yes, the angel was 100% there. Sophie's not crazy. She's, she's totally, you know, having this relationship with this angel, then that I think that's fine. I think you definitely interpret it that way. But I also think it was to, to kind of give the inverse of that of, do you need the feather to actually believe that Sophie was telling the truth and that she really had a relationship with this angel? And what does it mean that the father didn't see the dang feather, right? Shouldn't the church be the one to see the sign of, of like faith if it were like real in a sense? I don't know. Like, like I was really disappointed. I feel like with almost everyone in the story, except the cat, the cat was the only cool person in the story. <laughs> I thought the angel was pretty cool too, you know, rocking the guitar. And he seemed like, he, he, again, that's why I kind of thought it was felt a little bit Lucifer y because it, it felt like he was almost too good to be true. But to your point of, you know, why, why, why wouldn't the father see the, the feather? What, what was the misgivings there? Sometimes I think we're too close to stuff uh, or true believers, you know, going back to, uh, you know, some of our other thoughts and discussions is uh, those that you least think are the ones that are going to be close to God are the ones that are closest to God. You don't need the church to be close to God. Sophie didn't go to church and she was closer than, than the father. She was closer than all of those people that went weekly to mass. She mm. didn't need that. And she had a closer relationship than they did. You can almost view it kind of like the three hermits from Tolstoy, right? Yes, exactly. Like, like exactly. they didn't follow the church organizational processes and procedures, but they could still live like Jesus and still love with, with love, like, like true love and care for their neighbors and live a better life than some people who are so obsessed with uh, the facade of of what religion brings in a sense. Or the rituals or the notoriety or or any of those other things that, you know, the, the church is this building and you have to worship this way on this day at this time with this book. And uh, Sophie didn't need that. And I, I love mm. it. Solid story. Okay. Very good story. Highly recommended. Playlist down below for other women in translation talks that we're doing this month. Uh, hope you had a good time. My name's been Una. Please hit subscribe. Peace out. Peace.